Welcome to Eyes Up, a podcast that champions representation, where we see you and give you insight on what the future of your career can look like. I'm your host, Dr. Damaris Raimondi, and we have a guest today. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. She obtained her Master's in Social Work at Fordham. Yes, folks, you guessed it. We have a therapist here on Eyes Up. And she is also the proud owner of Counseling Space, a mental wellness practice that is dedicated to improving the quality of life and of mental health of entrepreneurs and professional communities. Hey, that sounds just like us. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to Leslie Garcia. Yay! Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Raimondi. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Today, I'm hoping that for my listeners, we can learn about how you got to where you are in your career so that we could get there too. And to further explore the unique challenges that we face with our mental health as healthcare professionals and solutions that can improve the quality of our lives. So that's what I'm trying to cover today. But before we get into all that, I want to learn a little bit more about you. And let's start with my favorite question. I love, I've always loved school. So I always like asking my guests, what was your favorite grade growing up? I would say, you know what? I would say kindergarten. And yes, I would say kindergarten. I actually vividly remember kindergarten. That was in 80, probably 1981 or so. I know I'm giving my age away, but (laughs) who cares? Um, So that was around the early 80s. And I remember vividly because I was still the only child. My brother, um, I'm older, much older than him. And it was a moment to be in a setting with other kids like me. So I was always around my mom and Mm -hmm. didn't have siblings. So at the time, only child. And when you walk into a classroom, in a kindergarten classroom, there are a lot of toys, there are a lot of colors and art. And, And so, yeah, it really, it takes me back. I remember vividly, I was very excited. So I would say kindergarten for sure. It was fun. Yeah, kindergarten. I had a blast on my first day because I was an only child. And it's funny you say that because I remember almost everybody else was an only child, too. But wow. by the time we got to second grade, third grade, everybody had their brother and sister. And I'm like, oh, like, we don't relate anymore because I stayed an only child like for, for till now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. That's the first time that you get to see other kids. And it's super fun. And, and you learn a lot. And with our parents, you know, that informs a lot of our lives. Both of my parents are Peruvian, just in case my listeners didn't know yet. You know. And I identify as Latinx or Latina. For our listeners, where do you draw your background from and how do you identify? Yeah, so both of my parents are Dominican. And I, I tell you, this subject as far as identity and culture is so complex because it wasn't mm-hmm. until I went to school when you had to put yourself in a, in a box, let's just say. So back in the 80s, when I first started going to school, uh, looking at a black little girl speaking Spanish, I was questioned about that as well. And learning about culture more and more, just working, hiring teams from different countries. And I was told it's not it's in America that you're always asked this question. But, you know, I have someone who's in, in the islands and Caribbean and 
we don't even ask that question. So it's so it's so complex. So I will say, you know, as a woman first, identity as a woman first, and and definitely is that black. that's how you would identify yeah. first as this a woman. This is women. This is women first. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it, don't you think so? And I think too. Another layer of that is growing up in New York. Yes. You have to give yourself a, a label, so to speak, not in the same way, I guess, as you would in the Midwest, where it's more of an other, but more in the way that people want to figure you out. And then they'll be like, OK, you probably live here. You probably do this. But I also completely agree. I identify first as a woman. So I emailed. I don't know if you listen to NPR's Code Switch podcast. I did, but it's been a while, but I'm familiar with it. I heard about it. Yeah, so it's a there's so much information in there. I'm catching up with it again. And they had a whole episode on what it means to be Latinx or the new term Latin A. And I submitted in my response. I was like, well, you know, growing up in New York, it's the best thing that we have to identify ourselves. Right. And so I wrote this whole long thing and they got back to me. Wow. And I recorded like a little segment with them. Maybe it'll be out next week. I don't know. Hopefully. Wow. Yeah. And then when they were asking me a bunch of questions, I'll ask you one. Let's see your response. But one of them was like, would you identify as Latina first? Or what would the first thing you would say to someone? And then I'm like, well, I think I would say I'm a woman first. That was, mm. you know, that's like on the foreground, right? Correct. So I completely agree with you on that. But let's let's have some fun. And I'll ask you this other question. That <laughs> OK, let's me. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so identifying as Latina, Afro Latina, all these different things. Right there. There's a spectrum, of course. But if you had to choose someone, who would you describe as the prototypical Latina? Oh, my goodness. I would have to say. Celia Cruz, I love love Celia Cruz. I don't know if you've seen her. Was it a docu-series? It was on Netflix called Celia. Very spiritual woman, very um, connected to her family, driven as well. But I just recall growing up and looking at her because like I said, it wasn't until going to school where he's like, well, you know, you're black, but you speak Spanish. What, what is going on? What, what is it? Are you mixed? What, you so many questions. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this beautiful woman. Uh, my grandmother growing up would play Celia Cruz and I would see the, the records. At the time we had records. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would just stare at her. She was so beautiful. I said, wow, she has the same skin tone like me. She's beautiful. She sings and every, you know, and, and she speaks Spanish, right? Like, and she speaks, mm-hmm. so I was able to relate to, to her presence. So I would say Celia Cruz. And she traveled and all she over traveled. America. I haven't watched the series yet, but like, you're the second person to mention it to me. I, I'm gonna. Yes, you must. You must watch it. All of this, it informs our lives. It informs our education. And you know, you've had an illustrious career, but, you know, let's go back to the beginning a little more. What inside of that sparked your interest in mental health? Mental health came about in undergrad. I went to Stony Brook University and that wasn't a path. As a little girl, I wanted to be a surgeon. I was I was told that's what I guess that's what I wanted to be, because I always said as a little girl, listen to this. And I share this story often. I 
want to heal the inside. I want to cut people open, fix the inside and close them up. That's what I would say as a little girl. <laughs> I don't know where I would come. So I was told, well, that's surgeon. You want to be a doctor. So I always wanted to fix people from the inside. And mm-hmm. I pursued that path of science and, and medicine. But it wasn't until when I went to undergrad, I became fascinated with psychology, studying behavior, um, human behavior. And also I majored in psychology and minored in sociology, community, advocacy. And I had a mentor and she was a social worker. And I told her about my experiences and had so many questions about theories that were discussed and just how the, the mind work, human behavior. And she said, have you ever looked into psychology, just majoring in psychology, and you can do so many things with this major and pursue your degree in social work, if you like. So it just piqued my interest. But I would try to go into med, not med school, but pre-med. It was always a long waiting list. I was so discouraged. I would try again, a long waiting list. So I said, you know what? I don't know what to do. And when I met my mentor, she was assigned to me. I don't know how that happened. And it just piqued my interest and started working with other people in the field and noticing how social work, you can, you can still heal people from the inside. There's so many dimensions in social work, levels of practice, the macro practice, uh, which includes the advocacy, the micro practice, which includes doing therapy. Uh, So you can heal people still in the power of therapy. You don't need a scalpel, but it's still very powerful. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely life changing and can offer so much relief to people who don't know otherwise how to cope with what they're going through. And like you said, there's so many different types of avenues that you could pursue a career in mental health. But could you explain for me? I wanted to hear it from you. I was like, let me not Google it. Let me hear it from an expert. Could you explain the difference between an LCSW and an LMSW? Oh, sure. Yes. So LCSW, that's what I have. That is a a licensed clinical social worker. LCSW is a licensed clinical social worker. And LMSW is a licensed master social worker. So what's the difference? Mm -hmm. So when you graduate um, from grad school, I graduated with a master's of social work. I went to Fordham University. And after graduation, you can sit Um, for the board exam, for your licensed master social work, right? You don't really need to do the clinical training. You do have to have your internship in order to gain your degree, but to sit for the exam, you don't. But the limitation is a licensed master social worker has to be supervised by a clinician, licensed clinician like myself or a psychologist or a psychiatrist to do any type of assessment or therapy. So that is needed And then there is three years required by the state, a minimum of three years for them to sit for the licensed clinical social worker. And the licensed clinical social Mm. worker is a different level of exam through the state. They ask for a lot of paperwork. They also ask how many hours of therapy, of clinical intervention you had, and who supervised you before you sit for the exam. And then that credential allows you to do the therapy independently or any type of clinical intervention um, independently. So if you have your own practice, you have to have your LCSW if you want to take insurance, let's say. Does that make sense? 
crystal clear. Yes. Oh, that was amazing. We're yes. gonna, I'm going to make a whole post on that. That was so, okay. Love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And so, like you were saying, so an LCSW is what you need to strive for to open up your own practice. And that's what you did. You opened up counseling spaces. And I love how, so I've been like following you on social media and on in the podcast circuit, and you beautifully describe it as an evolution and that you started with Friday appointments and it grew. And I find that so inspiring because the message there is that you just have to start. So what was that time of your life like when you started this? It wasn't a huge plan. That's why I said it just evolved. And I knew I wanted to do some type of business independently where I utilize my my social work skills. When I went to social work school, I majored in the macro practice, meaning I knew that I wanted to be a manager or trainer, be a boss. And I didn't have the intention of being my own boss when I went to school because you're not taught. That's not what you're taught. Mm. So I said, you know, I want to just do something different. And that came probably maybe six, seven years afterwards. And I said, why not? Let me just start small. And then from there, I'll build, I can build a business and I don't have to do one-on-one. I'll just bring in a team. But that was just a plan, right? That was a vision. And the next thing you know, I started looking for a place, an office, and the only office I was able to find was on Fridays, Friday evenings. And I said, well, well, who, let's see who's coming to therapy. I didn't think I would have any business because it was Friday night. There were only two of us in this huge office. And in a matter of three months, I outgrew that place. Mm. Start small wow. and be consistent. Yes. That sounds like the blueprint to almost starting anything, kind of. You make it sound so easy, but but that's what it is, right? Just starting yes. out, seeing what happens. And when you have like such a firm why, it just slowly grows and, and you'll see what comes out of it and you'll learn from it too. That's amazing. So you do focus a lot on, you know, professional entrepreneurial women like us, all of us who are listening now. And I know one topic that, often comes into my DMs, and I'm sure yours too, is burnout. The hard thing with being a healthcare professional and, and pursuing all these other, you know, interests is that, you know, we have to keep going and our careers are just so demanding. And there's all these different things going on. There's also imposter syndrome, which you mentioned is not a diagnosis, but let's go back to burnout. Like what that's like what a couple of words of encouragement that you could give to someone who's struggling with that. So burnout is is actually very serious, uh, especially now these days. And this is what I'm hearing often: the subject of burnout. Many clients are experiencing burnout, and I'm sure with with isolation and pandemic, it's just exacerbating. And what what I'm seeing with burnout, and and even I I would be honest with myself and just full disclosure. Uh, last year, just feeling burnout because last year I said I would fire myself. I would not do therapy and just grow the business. And I, and people say, you fired yourself? Yes, I'm going to fire myself and just gr- and grow the business because it was very exhausting. But that was January. That was the goal for January 2020. And when the pandemic hit, I said, I can't, I need to rehire myself because I can't not do this. I cannot 
just avoid the, the people in need. My point is when it comes to burnout, I, I knew, I knew I was going to be burnt out. I knew what was going on was going to burn me out, but I, I disregarded it and I just felt maybe it would be selfish to take a break because there's so many people in need. And what happens is that we, we're not proactive. Many of us are not proactive. We're reactive. We realize maybe we don't have the same interest when it comes to our jobs or we're not feeling motivated, just very exhausted. And we're, we're not proactive with our schedules, taking just time off and gaining some clarity, stepping away and making that a consistent habit, which can help prevent burnout. So the, the issue with burnout is, Let's not get there. Let's prevent it by just nourishing, nourishing yourself. If it could just be consistent, what does your time look like for the next quarter? And what days do you want to take? Or what? how many hours do you want to take off? Maybe leave early on certain days of the, of the month just so you can prevent it. Because when it hits you, it's, it takes longer to recover. Number two is that when we do this type of work, when you want to be impactful in your career, it is not going to be easy. And so we, we must realize if you want to be impactful, we have to accept that it will be demanding. It will be difficult and it will test us. But when you want to be impactful, you, you have a reason why you want to be impactful. So be mindful of that. Be mindful of that. So I don't know if you can agree. Anyone who is impactful in doing amazing accomplishments and, and wants to be a, a change agent in their community, it will be demanding. And so sticking to, to your why. And one saying, I don't know who said this, we can do anything, but we don't have to do everything. Understanding what are some of the resources. And when I mean resources, that can include your community, your, your loved ones, your network, um, time, what are the resources that's in alignment with your path? And that can change from time to time. And making sure that you reevaluate that. We talk a lot about detox, mm -hmm. eliminating toxins in our body. So that same concept, how can you apply that in your environment, the external? What, what is it that you have to declutter and detox so you won't feel so drained to continue this path. That's beautiful. And it's so true. The, the preventative part of that is important. I think I tend to forget to like look at my whole calendar for the month. And I'm, I'm so glad I was able to do that this Sunday and like look ahead of the week. I actually had to turn down a couple of uh, people and like different events. And I did that because I saw, hang on, I have a lot going on this week. There's only so much that I can take on. And you know, I'm I'm glad I said no. Like that at a different time, we'll reschedule and look at look at us now. Now I'm like all energized and ready to do this podcast because I, I gave myself that grace. So, prevention yes. is absolutely it. Mm -hmm. Yo creo que ahora es nuestro segmento en español. A ver, lo que yo estaba pensando otro otro tema difícil <laughs> un poco otro <laughs> tema un poco profundo es que en la comunidad latina recién estamos aprendiendo un poquito más sobre la salud mental como un grupo en general y uh -huh. yo creo que viendo a mis pacientes y viendo a mis padres los sentimientos de preocupación que parecen ansiedad todo eso parece es normal es normal para todos nosotros es algo que hemos vivido con nuestra entera vida entonces no 
no piensa uno que necesita una terapia. ¿Qué diría usted a, a la comunidad a hispanohablante que está escuchando ahorita sobre esos sentimientos incómodos? No, y es muy importante para reconocer, porque yo me imagino la gente, bueno, yo, yo sufro de lo nervio. No, yo no puedo ir porque me, me siento incómoda, ¿verdad? Y entonces, principalmente cuando tienen niños en la casa, ellos están mirando cómo la persona, cómo ellos están tratando el estrés. Entonces, es muy importante, porque la mayoría de la persona, ellos están esperando casi ocho años para recibir tratamiento de salud mental. Y cuando yo escucho a los madres y padres, ellos me dicen, mi hija o mi hijo me dice, mami, usted siempre está triste. O mami, hoy está contenta y, y es muy raro para ver una sonrisa. O usted bailando. Entonces los niños, ellos se dan cuenta. Entonces es muy importante por, para el salud de uno, pero también para ser un ejemplo para la familia y los hijos. Tienes tanta razón con eso. Los niños se dan cuenta y, y dicen, y cuando mis pacientes vienen, la familia entera hablan sobre eso. Y, y yo me doy cuenta ahí de que, bueno, hablamos y le digo cómo está todo, qué está sucediendo. Y ahí poco a poco nos a, informamos y a veces les digo que con la pandemia y con todo es mucho y que a veces necesitamos ayuda. Y así le paso la voz a su PCP, ¿no? Y ahí tratamos de arreglar todo. Pero muchas gracias por la información en español. Gracias. No, gracias. Bueno, es importante para la persona. Nosotros debemos de saber que salud mental es salud. Uh -huh. Solo más importante, salud mental es el salud. Igual como uno va al doctor, que uno se siente con dolor en el cuerpo, un golpe o pero salud mental es salud. Oh, sí, absolutamente. Sí. Gracias, doctora. Gracias. Sí, tenemos que hacer un video de, de esta parte para que el, el público escuche más sobre esto. Sí, y hay... Um, I, I, I was going to continue in Spanish. It's okay. <laughs> well, let's, let's go back to a little bit of English here. So, you know, I myself am going through therapy and I found it so helpful And there's so many different skills that you learn and that gets reinforced. It's awesome. One thing that I've been doing a lot of is journaling. I actually have been doing that since like I was I was a little kid. I, I have journals from like third grade and stuff. But, you know, journaling, it's therapeutic. Uh, and you have a writer's workshop coming up. Could you tell us more about that? Yes, we're so excited. We actually, how it came about is called the the Write Therapy, and it's a writing workshop focusing on self-compassion. And this came about because I had a group, a support group of women, professional women in different fields, whether they're being management or they own their own business. And it was called Spa Wellness Sundays. And it was just getting together on a Sunday night, talking about our wellness goals. And I, I didn't have any intention, right? We just really talked about the support that we needed. And it lasted for six weeks. In the last two sessions, we did journaling. And it was so powerful. And the facilitator, uh, Stacia Yearwood, and I, we talked about how powerful it was. And we had to continue going. We had to provide this as a service. So that's how it came about. And our first one was, February 20th 
And it, you know, we had ladies crying, we had ladies laughing, we had an international presence. And I said, we have to continue doing this. And so basically what it is, we are planning on doing this on a monthly basis. Um, if there is a demand for more, we would love to do it on a regular basis. And what we do is we use prompts to help reconstruct your mind, to help you self-reflect. It can be prompts when it comes to self-compassion. When was the last time you used self-compassion as a self-care tool? What does self-compassion mean to you? How can someone treat you with self-compassion? So many questions to really reflect and look at life differently, or maybe use it as a theme for the week, for the month, or for the year. And we give the ladies opportunities to write, free-flowing too, just free-flowing, there's no mistakes. And they share their stories, and it's so powerful. It's so healing and so powerful because thoughts that you would never think of, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it may be dark, but hopeful. There are so many experiences that are shared in this circle, and it's a supportive, safe circle. That goes with the the whole theme of not bottling things up and really exploring it and reorganizing it, reframing it, and you know, sharing in a safe space. That's so exciting. I'll be uh, participating in the next one. Where where can we find more information about that? I can't wait. Yes. Yeah, so it's the therapy.com or you can email us at infocounselingpc.com. That's info at counseling, P as in peace, C as in clear.com. All right. That's amazing. We'll put all that in the show notes. What words of advice do you have, like in conclusion, for women who are pursuing their careers and doing it all? What words of advice would you give for them? What I would advise is always, always seek support. We can't do this alone. We don't succeed. If you hear of any accomplishments, there's always someone on your side, someone who is advising. So don't be afraid to ask for help. I also will say is that always be in tune of what your core values are. It's so important and you have the right to change and prioritize your core values. And lastly, don't forget to lead your life with wellness. Lead with wellness. So true. Asking for help is so important. And if our listeners wanted to, you know, start their therapy journey, where would you suggest they start? Sure. I mean, there are several ways you can contact. If you have insurance, you can contact your insurance. And there's a department, a lot of insurance companies have a department of mental health or behavioral health, and they can give you a list. Um, We, even in our website, counselingpc.com, I have a resource page where you can get um, services. You can contact, you can contact us as well. We can guide you and advise you where to um, receive services, or you can receive services through us. Um, Psychology Today, there's so many, but yeah, you can start there. We have a very extensive list on our website. We'll definitely be getting on that. And you said your website, but where else can we reach you at if we wanted to follow your journey and hear more about you? Do you have an Instagram? Yes, at Counseling Space. Um, So that's the Instagram, also on Facebook, on Twitter, on Clubhouse. So Counseling Space is my handle name on all social media platforms. Clubhouse. 
It's the best. <laughs> That's right. It is. It is. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. And I will hope we can do this again. Absolutely. And yeah, so what I would like you, my listener, too, to take from this episode, because I took a lot. Well, the main message is that you can always ask for help and that you do not have to handle everything on your own. Ask for help. That's what we're here for. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And if you love this episode, do share it with a friend and leave eyes up a rating and review so that I can keep bringing you this revolutionary content. Shout out to Roberto Lusk for the awesome work on the logo and to our resident copy editor, Dr. Sarah Hashmi. And for a deeper dive into the topics covered on today's episode, take a look at the show notes. All the links for everything that we talked about today are there. And follow me on Instagram at EyesUpPod. And I hear that the story highlights are where it's at. Thank you so much again. And head up, eyes up, together we rise up. Thank you, Leslie. And until next time, say bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for having me.